Warning, the following show doesn't represent the opinion of CIBL, its employees, or the local clown college. I'm Dr. Daryl Ray, and I took a left at the valley, and the party was really good. I woke up this morning, had a burning deep inside, it's like when you're feeling, it's all a big lie. I feel the pain There's hunger and despair Stop the rhetoric of your teaching Time for us to share out of the studios of CIVL 101.7 FM across the country and around the world, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and today I will be your host, like most times. Joining me today is the great team that made CIVL 30% more in your face, our matriarch of time, Nancy. Hey, how's everybody? Welcome. <laughs> Didn't hear you there. Our newsworthy friend, the Reform. Good afternoon. Or I just kicked Superman's ass, Martina Wonder Woman. There. And Tyler, who was recently rated at 2 million lumens. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. And Nancy, you brought a friend. I did. I brought a very good friend. Turn the Doug. mic towards you here. Uh, dear, okay, I can't hear here you. Here we go. No, there we go. I brought a very good friend, Doug Smith, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. And then we'll get into a little bit more about why Doug is here. Say hi. Hey, how's it going? Uh, uh, Nancy said I'm Doug Smith. I'm here just to have some fun, yeah? <laughs> cool. <laughs> a bit of chit-chat. Hey, guys, did you know that this little gang actually managed to score an interview with the James Tyler? Uh, sorry, Tyler. Uh, our reform, how do you say it? Oh, the amazing run. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I'd imagine no religion six. Uh, that's going to be pretty cool. So, uh Make sure to listen in as we'll uh, have eventually uh, something coming in from our, our friend there, uh, James Randy. Fantastic. Our, our great host, Kevin. A round of applause for Kevin for getting the amazing <laughs> Randy. Oh, <laughs> A little bit of chit-chat. Did you guys see that uh, uh, some of the, the funky news that's been coming out the, this past week? Uh, you know, like, like uh, last show, we had uh, uh, our skeptical look at Easter. And did you guys see this... Yeah, just wreck the place. Sorry. <laughs> uh, did you guys see that uh, that actor in uh, I believe it's in Mexico that actually uh, uh, was actually uh, portraying Jesus? He kind of got onto a cross, and it was it's like a four or five meter high cross, right? And they're raising the cross with him playing Jesus, and they kind of went a bit. So you you get imagine you're like four or five meters high on a, on a pole, right? <laughs> and they went a, a bit too far, and the guy fell off. <laughs> so as soon as that happened, I couldn't help but start thinking. Oops. <laughs> I couldn't help but th- just do that as soon as I saw that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So we had fun with that. Um, the, you guys also hear that the Office of Religious Freedom uh, actually closed. It did? Yes, it did. Uh, the, the mandate ended on uh, March 31st. So this is the office, you might recall, that was opened in 2013 by the Tories. Uh, although I think it was pretty much a uh, thinly veil, uh, just uh, trying to push Christian religion, especially on, on the public, uh, because it wasn't doing a whole lot of work for the other religions. Uh, the Tories at the time, as we, uh, I don't know if you guys recall, actually even went to the point of eliminating all the chaplain, uh, chaplains uh, out of prisons, except the Christian ones. You know? So if, if you were a Muslim in prison, too bad. You're not going to talk to anybody, that uh, a religious uh, counselor, I guess. Uh, but the Christians one remain. And now, of course, uh, on March 31st, uh, 
the, 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 the mandate of the Office of Religious Freedom ended and the liberals decided they will not reopen uh, it and they will close it. I think we should have a round of applause for that too, eh? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, and on top of that, um, did you guys notice that, <laughs> you know how science is actually getting better and better and it's getting more mainstream? Because now there was actually a... Um, a game, you know, like a lot of uh, fighting games are the all the rage for a lot of people, and they have a fighting game now called um, Science Combat. Did you guys hear that? No, no. It's actually it's kind of funny because uh, you you have a uh, you have essentially um, you can you could be like Darwin, right? And you're fighting Einstein, or you could be Madame Curie fighting uh, uh, Stephen Hawking's. It's amazing. You know? is, is it a game for uh, it's a teens game. and I mean, is it a game for teens and adults, or is it? Well, we got your copy, Nancy. Okay. <laughs> okay I so. didn't. I didn't want anything that was above my pay scale. I'm curious. Nancy's how, a resident gamer. Yeah. Is, is, Steve, oh, yeah. is Stephen Hawking kind of like Professor X? No, no. <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious. How does he fight? They, the, they all mind the, bending. No, they all have their, their interesting thing, right? But he's he's in his chair, obviously, and he does black holes. So black oh, holes appear, and cool. you know. Kind of suck you in, you know, and uh, you have like Nikola Tesla that throws in this big energy beam, and Madame Curie that throws like radium poison or something like that. That's, that's pretty amazing stuff. I'm buying that game tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's called Science Combat. So I thought it was it was it was pretty cool. Nancy, are you ready to go, my dear? I'm ready, sir. Let's do. It. Let's do it. And here we go. This day in history. Which I hope our listeners know by now is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between March 28th to April 3rd. Um, starting out with a with a high note, March 28th was Left Handed Day. Are any of us left handed except moi? Oh, okay. No, you're in the minority I'm now. A, I'm in the minority. <laughs> <laughs> the superior minority, but the hey, minority. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on March 28th um, was the day that Typhoid Mary, in the States, if anybody remembers Typhoid Mary, um, happened wherever she was, she uh, spread typhoid. But she was healthy. She never got it, but she sure gave it away. I guess that's the gift that keeps on giving. So she was the first healthy carrier of disease ever identified in the States. And unfortunately, she was put in quarantine, and she had to stay there for the rest of her life. So that's not, uh, I guess that was the first lady in the bubble. I, I guess <laughs> what year way. was that? That was in 1915. Oh, I don't remember that part. You know, <laughs> April 1st. I'm not that old. Not that I, speaking of which, April 1st was April Fool's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also a really funny um, uh, holiday or event called Edible Book Day. And it's an international day where edible books are created, displayed, and small events are held. And I guess if one has to eat one's words, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> oh, where's my bell? Oh, I know I my bell. Couldn't resist that one. Okay, so, so April. Forget eating crow. Eating your words way better. Yeah. So April the first, if you look it up, there's always the ten best pranks and the ten best jokes, and so this prank that I'm going to tell you about always is either number one or number two. And in 1957, in uh, Britain, there was a news broadcast uh, show called Panorama. And it was um, a show that was a magazine. It was sort of like us, but it was a little more sophisticated in in some way. So people took it, people, you know, would normally take it fairly uh, seriously. So they made a three-minute segment 
about a bumper spaghetti harvest in southern Switzerland, and it was beca- <laughs> and they said it was due to an unusually mild winter and the virtual disappearance of the spaghetti weevil. And, <laughs> and, but but to cap it off, because it was a TV program, this is what was so funny. They actually had actors. Uh, and they made a video of this family pulling pasta off of spaghetti trees <laughs> and putting them into baskets. So they showed this whole harvest, and they showed that they they looped the spaghetti around the trees. And because it was 1957, people didn't always have a really good idea of what was happening. And they never and had the, a good idea what was happening. Yeah, what was happening. So people really believed it. And um, it, while people believed it, they wanted to know how to grow their own spaghetti and whether they could do it. <laughs> and so the, the the show actually got a phone call. This is the best part actually got a phone call from a lady saying, how can I grow my own spaghetti? And so the producer of the show very nicely, very seriously said, for those who love this dish, there's nothing like real homegrown spaghetti. So just place a sprig of spaghetti in a tin of tomato sauce and hope for the best. (laughs) Great, great story. So uh, April the 2nd, was World Autism Day, and if it's spring, and if it's warm weather, Kevin, then this story has to be about baseball. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> okay, here Hold we on, go. I better get comfortable with this. I know, if it's not Texas, it's baseball. Oh, yeah. Okay, so on April 2nd, 1931, uh, an individual called Jackie Mitchell actually struck out both Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig in succession in an exhibition baseball game against the New York Yankees in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Wow. So this is how it happened. The New York Yankees were invited to play an exhibition game against a double-A minor team in Chattanooga, Tennessee called the Chattanooga Lookouts. So the game was supposed to be on the first, but it was postponed to the second because of rain. So Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, heavy hitters of the Yankees, and 4,000 fans turned out to watch the game. First inning, Yankees at bat, and the lookout pitcher gives him a run and then a walk. Coach shakes his head, replaces him with the lookout star pitcher, Jackie Mitchell. Now, Jackie was a nickname. The pitcher's full name was Vernie Bernice Mitchell. A woman. A woman. Not wow. A, not even quite a woman. She was a 17-year-old girl who amazingly had a wicked southpaw pitch that had earned her a pending contract with the lookouts. So up first, here comes Babe Ruth, and she strikes him out. Next up, Lou Gehrig, and he goes down swinging. So 4,000 fans stand up and give her a standing oh, on. Yay! Goodness. I know. Some 17-year-old girl just struck 17. out Babe Ruth. I and know. Who, almost, whoa, almost, my mind. almost beyond belief. So the Yankees won 14 to, uh, to 4, and her victory strikeouts are in the baseball history books. But there's a little, you know, rumor and a little controversy about whether the strikeouts were real or a deal. But nonetheless, Jackie's ability and talent as a pitcher was never questioned. And afterward, she actually went on to play with other teams and then retired at age 19 (laughs) (laughs) to join her father's business. And the funniest team that she played with was called the House of David. And all the guys had long beards and long hair, and so she put a long beard on. (laughs) 
You know, it was in the 20s. Baseball was fun. The Doug Dynasties of the 20s. Absolutely. It's just a (laughs) wonderful, I love that story. So let's end on that that fun tale. And dear listeners, that will bring to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Thank you so much, Nancy. Wow. That was an amazing story. Did, so just imagine yeah, it, how easy a, it'd be to strike me. Story. Did you know the left-handed, I wanted to go back to the left-hand uh, day because um, only about 10 to 12% of the population are actually left-handed. And if you go way back, people um, in schools, oh, I know this for sure in the UK, uh, people in school who were left-handed were not allowed to use their left hand and they were actually forced to learn to write with their right hand. Uh, and they were punished for using the left hand because the left hand was seen as evil or demonic. And even in like in different religions, like in Islam, uh, you can't eat with your left hand. It's considered to be uh, uh, blasphemous. And yeah, and even in, in, in Hebrew times or among Hebrew people, the left hand is considered to be a lesser hand. So yeah, k- kids were actually forced up till recently to use their right hand over their left Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I got a little bit of that in school because back in those days, believe it or not, we still had desks that had ink wells and you had the sort of the quill type pens. And so when you're writing with your left hand, you just make a mess all the way. <laughs> with those wet ink, you make a mess. But after a while, I don't know whether my parents talked to the teachers or they were enlightened enough to say, we can't break her, we might as well join her. But I still have I still have to cut with my right hand because the scissors are not really made to for left-handed. So I'm sort of ambidextrous. Hmm. Interesting. My dear friend Tyler, you got a bit of a uh, nice story because, like we like to do, we like to put a spotlight on interesting characters. And today, you're doing Bart Ehrman. Yes, I am. But first, I just wanted to make a comment on that spaghetti tree thing. <laughs> you you, said, want, you we, want a little bit of spaghetti well, in a jar of tomato sauce to take home? You said, well, it was 1957. I know lots of people who would still fall for that today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you looking at me when you said that? <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So I'd l- I'll give you a little bit of uh, history of Bart Ehrman, but I don't want to go on and just sound like Wikipedia. But... Uh, He became a Christian in high school and kind of figured that studying the Word of God was probably the most important thing he could do. So he ended up going to some very right-wing schools initially. He went to the Moody Bible Institute, and then he went to uh, Wheaton College, where he learned to, you know, read and write Greek and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then he heard about Bruce Metzger. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him or not. Probably not. He was a very, very famous uh, New Testament scholar. He was known as the best, which is why Bart Ehrman decided to go to Princeton Theological Seminary. Uh, it's the complete opposite of Wheaton. It's Tyler, can I, can I ask you to put your mic just oh, a bit closer yeah. to you? Yeah. It's a very left, very left liberal, you know, the Bible's not the word of God, that sort of thing. So he went and got his PhD there, and that's kind of, you know, he studied the Bible so much that he lost his faith, I guess, which is pretty typical. I mean, I've seen studies out there that say, atheists know the bible better than most believers right so um he is he is an agnostic atheist like myself now um and i just thought it was it was really interesting that you know you have one person who can go through the same type of schooling and get a phd and they just 
pull all these mental gymnastics to keep their faith alive and he just said if it's true it's true if it's not true it's not true so Mm -hmm. he's his story is very 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 interesting i mean he has a bit of uh, a fight back and forth with richard carrier as to whether or not jesus really existed or not but I really don't care because they agree that Jesus from the Bible never existed, right? Yeah. The actual character in the Bible. So I think that fight is is kind of pointless. Um, but yeah, my source for this was uh, Jesus Interrupted. I actually owned the book. I was uh, reading it the other day. Again, it's fantastic. It's prob- I've read several of his books. That is the one that I would recommend to everybody the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically a collection of all the uh, contradictions in the Bible. And he actually gives some good explanations as to why there are specific contradictions. And then I've started to kind of notice, you know, atheists, some of my fellow atheists using some of the contradictions, but not understanding the uh, theological implications or significance or why it's like that. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, You know, atheists like myself, I used to say there's a contradiction between Mark and John as to what day Jesus died, right? You guys are familiar with this contradiction? Yes. Okay, so, but the reason that uh, John changes it is because he wants him to be murdered uh, the day before the the preparation for the Passover because that's when they would slaughter the lambs. Mm -hmm. So he's having the Lamb of God be slaughtered on the same day that the Jews would slaughter the lambs, right? So I found that to be very, very interesting, that kind of thing. Yeah, he he certainly is one of these authors out there that's quoted on a regular basis. Anybody who wants to do any kind of uh, research on uh, anything that's uh, history, uh, historicity of the Bible or Jesus or any, any of the, the, the characters like that. Oh, amazing information that I never found anywhere else. He actually goes into, you know, the oldest manuscript of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. They say this, and then a couple hundred years later they changed it. Like one great example was one of the oldest uh, copies of Luke where... Um, Jesus goes missing for three days. Well, <laughs> they just left their kid. Oh, yeah, we should probably go back and get our kid, eh? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, but Mary goes and talks to, to Jesus and says, your father and I were looking for you. Your father? Wait, what? I thought he was, <laughs> God was his father. Yeah, so exactly. they, they read that, and later manuscripts, they changed it to Joseph. So things like that that you just don't hear, or you don't find on the Internet. He has amazing, amazing information in those books I, I could go on and on about all the great things in that book so i highly mm-hmm. highly recommend it excellent and one of the things um i've done a little bit of reading on with bart ehrman as well um and one of the things that did it for him too with his deconversion was uh the idea of suffering god's problem the yeah book. yeah how could how could uh, an omnipotent uh omnipresent uh all loving all caring god allow for so much suffering to occur in the world and not intervene yeah and god's problem is an excellent book to read about that and i know when he was teaching or he teaches still teaches at one of the the chapel hill in north carolina and one of his classes is about suffering he has his students look at and he doesn't try and you know convert them one way or another or deconvert them he just asks them to look honestly at how suffering is portrayed in the bible and how it matches up to what we see suffering today and it was interesting too when you're talking tyler um when i went through my deconversion bart ehrman was one of the i actually read about bart ehrman when i was reading christopher hitchens book um god is not good 
And uh, he mentions Bart Ehrman in there. So, of course, I went off to find out who Bart Ehrman was and discovered, you know, this guy and his deconversion. And one of the things that Bart Ehrman said was that uh, his deconversion process and experience was one of the most emotionally traumatic things that he ever went through. And uh, I could relate to that because when you have grown up with, you know, so much certainty and faith and religion, and then all of a sudden that whole foundation starts to crumble, you're just like, wow. Yeah, anyway. at yeah. the beginning of Jesus Interrupted, he said while he was losing his is, is it on? Mm. Yep. While, while he was losing his faith, it wasn't just like a simple thing. He went down kicking and screaming, right? So uh, the last thing that I will say is that because of that, you know, suffering and whatnot, he started up his own blog. It's the uh, bartermanblog.org, I think it is. You'd have to, to mm-hmm. look it up. But all of the money goes to charity, you know, to taking care of people who are suffering around the world i think it's 25 dollars a year so like two dollars a month so that that that's great that's amazing that's pretty cool thank you so much and we'll be right back right after this what is secular humanism critical thinking knowledge is freedom freedom from ignorance and its offspring fear The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centre. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. You're listening to Left at the Valley on CIVL 101.7 FM. Here's an excerpt from Powerless No Longer by Peter W. Soderman. One night in late August 1990, I was sitting in my living room continuing a normal evening of drinking after the mosquitoes drove me inside. I was making up stories in my head about adventures that would never happen when my 15-year-old daughter appeared out of nowhere. She stood 10 feet in front of me, fiddling with a piece of paper in her hand. Dad, she said with a tremor in her voice, What did you think of the poem I read for you on the deck? You said you wanted to think about it for a while. What poem? I couldn't remember even seeing her earlier, let alone any poem. Thrusting the paper towards me, she said, This poem, Dad, I've been working on it for days. I looked towards the floor and muttered something, hoping it was appropriate. I can't remember what I said. When our eyes met... I watched her expression change from hurt to anger, then from anger to disgust. I saw myself reflected in her eyes as we both realized at the same instant that I was a complete fraud. She crumpled the paper into a ball and tossed it onto the rug. Her hair swirled as she spun on her heel and ran from the room. I forgot the poem, but I still remember her sobs. I looked around the room as if seeing it for the first time and realized this was coming to an end and damn soon. We were living off sales from two years ago and the pipeline was empty. I was a liar, a cheat, and a phony and one of the few around me who didn't realize it. If the world would stop, I thought, I could get myself together and begin to make things right. I tried hard not to drink anymore that evening but the glass magically continued to fill itself. When the pendulum clock on the wall bonged 1 a.m., I stumbled up the stairs, undressed, and fell into bed. As the room began to spin, 
I felt absolute panic. I knew I couldn't face life without alcohol to kill the pain. Yet, I knew I would die if I continued to drink. Powerless no longer, reprogramming your addictive behavior by Peter W. Soderman is now available at atheistaudiobooks.com. And we're back. Hey guys, I got a great person on the line with us. I've got Ian Bushfield of the BC Humanist. Ian, can you hear us? Yes, Kevin. Good to be back. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. No problem. So, uh, Ian, I hear that you're having, uh, you, there was a bit of a, uh, an event there. Um, the uh, BC Humanist was uh, essentially trying to fight uh, the, the old battle of getting Bibles out of the school district in Abbotsford and Chilliwack, and there's been some development on that. about atheist comic how that must have been received pretty well <laughs> yeah we've gotten some feedback on that but it's basically just our goal is to stop the distribution we don't really want to see anything distributed if we have to discuss religion in schools it should be sort of on an equal footing and not just who has the most money and who can advertise the biggest you know we don't want a cold or you know, arms race of advertising in schools mm-hmm so so and, and then of course and, and then the press got a hold of the story and they've put this all over the news, right? Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, we <laughs> sent the letter over. Well, it's good. All news is good news, right? So we sent the letter over spring break and gave it a couple days and got confirmation that we the superintendent had received the letter and we put it to the press just to make sure that there was pressure on them because sometimes we feel that you know they're hoping we'll just go away or we'll get quiet and we won't. We'll keep it up until. We've won. Okay, so uh, so um, have you guys uh, heard anything from? Uh, by the way, guys, if you want to jump in and ask a question, go right ahead. Have you guys heard anything uh, from the uh, the school district itself? They said they received our letter and they're considering it. Uh, yeah, that means they're not going to do anything, right? Well, they haven't told us anything specifically. If you read between the lines in the comments in some of the papers, you might be able to think that they're probably rethinking their position a little bit because I think we have them trapped. I think the precedents we set out in the letter, the Supreme Court cases, the Human Rights Tribunal, like a Human Rights Tribunal in Ontario considered this exact question of whether you can only distribute the Gideon Bibles, and the answer is no, you can't. It's pretty obvious. So they know they have to do something, I think. Yeah, actually, uh, Tyler was kind enough to send me a link. Uh, yeah, the distribution of Gideon Bibles, even in the States, actually, was deemed unconstitutional. Um, they said, uh, let me read here, it says, uh, they were doing the same thing, uh, distributing in, uh, to a fifth-grade student, and uh, they said the court found both the Gideon's in-school presentation as well as the practice of stacking Bibles by the classroom door with the encouragement to take one violates the establishment clause. Although the teachers did not distribute the Bible and the student didn't, were not required to take a Bible, the court found the practice to be an unconstitutional government endorsement of religion. And I think this is where you guys are attacking from. Yeah, exactly. We don't want to see our schools promoting religious worldviews. I mean, this same fight's going on again and again, time after time. Right now it's also happening in Colorado, where I think an atheist group has gotten Satanist coloring books into the library because... That way the school was happy they could still distribute Bibles, and now people are a bit upset that Satanist books are also in their kids' libraries. Oh, I still want one of those coloring books. 
<laughs> I got a nice shade of red for that. <laughs> well, and the the hypocrisy here is that if we were handing out, you know, Christopher Hitchens' God is not great, how religion poisons everything, they would flip. Yeah, yeah. So, so Ian, when, when do you plan on stopping harassing all these poor, poor Christians? <laughs> I mean, it comes down to when religious privilege is removed from our school systems. That's what we're really challenging. We're not t- stopping people from being Christian. We're not stopping people from having religious points of view. I even said to one interview, um, if parents want to give their children Bibles, they can find them. They're on the Internet. They're at bookstores. They're at libraries. We don't need to have our schools involved in this advertising, proselytizing scheme. Yeah, but Ian, if you take God out of the school, uh, you know, out of a secular school in a secular country, that's not a theocracy, don't you think that, you know, he might get angry and send tornadoes and, you know, <laughs> plagues and stuff like that? Well, that's what they'll say. Yeah, I, I, would you really want to take the chance? <laughs> well, we're taking the chance with climate change and dumping fossil fuels into the air, so what's another risk? <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. So, uh, Ian, it's, uh, it's the Reformed here. What's your what's the next step? Like, is it kind of a sit and wait to see what they come back with, or do you have anything else kind of up your sleeve to keep the pressure on? That's basically where we're at, is waiting for the district's response. Uh, if they really start to drag their heels, we'll crank up the pressure. Um, we have, you know, legal counsel on hand. We have very generous uh, lawyers in Vancouver willing to with us pro bono if we need to take this to a human rights tribunal or if we need to take this to court. But for now, the ball's in Babbittsford School District's court to decide what to do. I mean, if the superintendent doesn't act to it on it, and we believe he has the authority to just stop distributing or stop permitting the distribution of religious materials, we can take it to the school board as well and challenge them. Okay, well, if you need to, get a whole bunch of copies of The God Delusion. Give them to me and I'll go and hand them out to schools. support you this nancy here if people want to support you um they can make a donation to make sure that you've got enough copies and you can do what you want where where can people make a donation to help with your campaign ian yeah if you go to bchumanist.ca slash donate we have a page there and you can contribute to their secular schools campaign and whether we have to distribute these bibles or if we have to go to court or if we need to just keep up the pressure it all takes some money and we're trying you know we operate on a strength shoestring budget but nothing's free yeah and uh, i think the public needs to know as well that uh, uh, just because you're humanist and atheist you know we, we, we're natural friends and all, all of a sudden it's not because you know, you're not trying to push an atheist agenda here you're just trying to push equality you know if, if it was a school distributing copies of the quran you would have the same beef right exactly i mean that's why the thrust of our letter is just that the precedents are clear that schools shouldn't be advertising for religious groups and we don't actually really want the atheist comics being distributed any more than we want Bibles being distributed. We want schools to focus on education and teaching. I mean, our school system's under such financial stress that they shouldn't be wasting their time and money on these fights. They should be getting on with educating. 
Well, and the funny thing is that the link that I sent Kevin that he read you a little bit, I actually got that from a Christian, and I'm in some Christian Facebook groups, and I talked to a whole bunch of them, and they actually agree with us. They don't want the Quran being handed out in public schools. They don't want, well, like you said, atheist literature. They don't want Christian literature, and they're Christians, and they agree with us. Yeah, it's important to remember religious people aren't a monolith. I was speaking with a Christian magazine uh, on Friday. They're going to run a story on this for their the light magazine that goes out to most of the churches in the lower mainland. And that's not to say they're going to endorse our position or oppose our position, but they have different viewpoints on it. And I think it's important to recognize that a lot of religious people benefit from secularism just as much as atheists do. Well, and I got a little confused because Kevin sent me that uh, oh, letter, I confuse everybody. That letter to the editor thing that's linked to all of this, right, Kevin? Yeah, well, it's, it was just a letter to the editors in the Abbotsford News. People have been reacting a lot to that to that well, story. Yeah, it was just strange because we're talking about handing out Bibles, and next thing you know, they're saying evolution is the atheist view. And the Facebook group that I was talking about, it was... Uh, it's mostly Christian scientists. They all accept evolution, and they're very. A lot of them know more science than I do. Uh, yeah, celebrating creation by natural selection, and I kind of copied and pasted it into the group. And they're like, "Evolution isn't an atheist model. It's also the Christian model. It, it's a it, science model. It's just the model." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just that diversity of their worldviews. There's different positions, and when people say we're attacking Christians, no, we're just pushing back against this sort of evangelical right that thinks they have the right to be in schools advertising, and that's not okay. Thank you, Ian. Uh, keep in touch with us, will you? I still know I just want to talk to you real quick here, and we'll be right back right after this. Thanks. Oops. By David G. McAfee. It is the same highly regarded concept of an afterlife that allows misguided religious people to justify the mistreatment of those who disagree with their religious ideologies. They are simply trying to protect you from eternal damnation in the afterlife by condemning you, insulting you, and even disowning you in this life. It is not to say that becoming open about your disbelief is always going to be met with these negative reactions and, in fact, that is precisely what this work is hoping to prevent. But it is important to understand that if you experience negative reactions from religious kin, it is probably a result from the religion's teachings and likely not from any personal vendetta or hatred. Find this audiobook and many more at AtheistAudiobooks.com. You are listening to Left at the Valley on CIBL 101.7 FM. And we're back. We were supposed to do a show this week about childhood obesity. Our friend Connie, who hasn't quite recovered yet, could not make it. So we decided to do a show about another very important issue, about the homeless situation here in the region. And that's why we have Nancy and her fantastic guest, Doug, who's been really quiet so far. (laughs) Well, that comes to an end real quick. (laughs) Well, the microphone is yours, guys. Alrighty. Well, I'm going to take my... uh hysterical historical fact hat off with my left hand and with my evil left hand the evil hand (laughs) and with my right hand i'm going to put on my non-profit 
be, uh, uh, hat because in addition to the fun we have here, I'm also secretary of the board of directors of a nonprofit called the Abbotsford Dignitarian Society. And uh, we are a nonprofit society dedicated to uh, helping the homeless here in uh, the Abbotsford region. And our main project is to uh, build a village called Abbey Diggs. Uh, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but I'd like uh, Doug to introduce himself. And what we're going to do is I'm going to go over some stats. I'm going to talk a little bit about homelessness in general. And then Doug is going to come back and talk about homelessness in Abbotsford. And then we'll get into Abbey Diggs. So, Did you uh, teach Doug the secret handshake? The secret handshake, you betcha. <laughs> because you can't talk on the radio unless you get the secret No, no secret kidding. handshake. <laughs> okay, so Doug, why don't you give a little introduction and then you get to do the, the main introduction when we get to the Abbotsford part. Okay, okay. Um, um, my name's Doug Smith, and I, I have been homeless, and um, I'm part of the Abbey Diggs uh, that, that you are, of course. And um, I don't know, I've been, you know, trying to do some work for the homeless people for a couple of years now. Um, just it's just sad how people get treated and change, you know. It's like you're, you're a vermin because you don't have a home, you know. I, I try to tell everybody, you know, we're Canadians, right? In, in Canada, it's our home and native land, so we're not homeless. We're just houseless, right? <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's why I joined in with the Abbey Diggs because, you know, we're, we're going to try and, you know, build a smaller home, you know, just a one-room house for people to live out of, right? Just to make it a little easier and more accessible. I mean, you know, it's... A lot of the people are there because of some bad hap something happened in their life, and you know nobody wants to live in you know not be in a house right but it's uh you know when you have three seventy five for rent and any place to rent six hundred and you're forced to have to live with somebody and then you lose half your stuff and it's just you know you get sick and tired of it right yeah, I think most people don't realize that every one of us are two step away from being homeless. I even include myself, I'll even tell you guys that I actually was homeless for a week myself, and I even had to dumpster dive at one point uh, to, to feed myself, so I totally understand. Well, you know, not as much as somebody who's out there a lot, but please don't let me interrupt. Go on. No, it's it, it's frightening. Um, we're really happy that uh, that Doug is part of our, our non-profit. He's our, our vice president, and he comes with a lot of expertise, and uh, he's been on a number of different uh, interview shows, and uh, you've probably seen his picture in the paper if you keep up with anything that goes on. So let's get let's get to some statistics. People all, always like statistics, and uh, overall, the main statistic is is that 300,000 people are homeless every night in Canada, um, whether that's accurate or not, but it certainly is a, 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 a number of people that is distressing, and it's, it's, it's difficult to understand how in a country like, like Canada we could actually have that many 300,000. 300,000 are homeless every single night. That's astounding. It, it's astounding. Surely it can't be serious. Yeah, it, I yeah. am serious. Um, out of that, yeah, out of the three hundred thousand people, think that um, people with drug and alcohol problems um, are are the major people who are homeless, and yet there are only thirty eight percent who have difficulty with alcohol, and twenty six percent that have difficulty with drugs. And if you'd ask someone, they probably would say, "Oh, seventy percent." 
of both, and and yet it's not. It's just that uh, sometimes people are are more visible. And uh, can, can you repeat them as a, as the please repeat those stats because I yeah, think those are worth repeating. Three hundred thousand homeless every night, mm-hmm. and out of those, thirty eight percent have difficulties with alcohol, mm-hmm. and twenty six percent with substance abuse. Yeah, so you t- so three quarters of the homeless out there are not hooked up on drugs, and that's important. Yeah, because and what percentage of people who aren't homeless have problems with drugs and alcohol? Right? That's another good point. Yeah. Because that's the one thing I hear all the time. I hear, oh, you know what? They want to be there. Yeah. They want that lifestyle. Yeah, and that's, b- sorry, bullcrap. It is, but people, there, there's a tendency to separate us from them to justify inaction or yes. to justify being part of uh, what's become to be called the poverty industry where people make money on people who have drug and alcohol problems. If they don't have the problems, there goes your job. That's right. At, at any rate. Um, an interesting statistic, this is really an interesting statistic, is the the BC Ministry of Community, uh, Aboriginal and Women's Services, as well as um, Canada Mental Health, have um, decided, not they decided, they got the facts and they realized that there are, it costs 33% more to keep people on the streets than it does to give them a house. So the cost of um, living on the streets in terms of health care, courts, police, shelters, all mm-hmm. the other things that uh, moving people from one place to the other, criminalizing it, 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 it actually is almost more, it's more expensive to keep people on the streets. And if you give that statistics to someone who's conservative, you'd say, oh, they'd say, well, let's get people houses. It costs less money. I don't care about the being compassionate, but it's a good economic move. And yet that number doesn't seem to uh, sway even conservatives. uh, I don't think people know that number. I don't think most of them are aware of it. No, it's becoming more well known. I maybe because you know Doug and I see statistics and talk about it so much. We feel well. Doesn't everybody know this? But no, not everybody knows it. But I think there's an education process that's going on because homelessness has become much more of an in-your-face uh, um, problem for for most of us. And it's very complex. It's not substance abuse. It's not individual responsibility or lack of responsibility that puts someone on the street. Often it's economics. Someone loses their job. They uh, they haven't had the opportunity to save up. The The rents go up. And in Vancouver, uh, they talk now not about evictions, but renovictions. The landlord doesn't want current residents in. He wants to be able to gentrify. So he says, I'm renovating. Oh, and by the way, your rent is going to go up by $200 a month, $100 a month. And people have a limited amount of places that they can go that they can afford. So it's literally driving people out of their home into the street to live with other people, which becomes uh, a dissatisfying situation. Um, and in, in addition to that, you have, um, especially in the lower mainland, you have people from Vancouver who are having um, a, a, a lot of difficulty trying to find affordable housing. The housing is just going up, 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 up. So they're heading more into the valley to find more affordable housing. But it's 
it's not more affordable because the uh, the houses here go up and the landlords say, oh, I can get more money. So that leaves the the lack of uh, of good housing available. In addition to those factors, you also have cuts in uh, social services. Um, in over the past ten years, there's been a tremendous cut of social services, especially mental health and substance abuse. If someone wants to go to a detox center, there's a waiting list. It's very difficult for them to get in. They get sicker, um, and yet there's no place for them to go. So unfortunately, you have a perfect storm creating homelessness. And in addition, I keep saying in addition because it's, it, it, it's just growing, there are more senior women and more youth who are at risk. And how to house those uh, people is becoming coming an issue as well. The, the other factor, the last factor I'll mention is that BC Housing used to build affordable housing. They don't anymore. They've switched to the three S's, which is shelter, subsidies, and service. So you have a lack of building of affordable housing as well. So you have traditional models that are not well kept. You have more people becoming homeless. You have a lack of housing. And in that mix, you have people who make poor choices, but they're not responsible for everything that is occurring that's causing them to uh, live in the woods, to live in tent cities, and to try and eke out some some measure of life with the amount of money that they get from social assistance. So now my buddy Doug... Uh, I have our, a question first. Yeah, sure. You said 300,000, right? Correct. How many of those are in Medicine Hat, Alberta? <laughs> I don't think any of them, because Medicine Hat says that they've eliminated house, uh, homelessness. By giving them houses. By giving them houses. It was quite they a successful did. experiment. It's actually known all over the world. It, it, this happens all over. This is not... T- actually, Medicine Hat comes late to the Housing First movement. Thank goodness they have, but uh, they First have... First in Canada, though, right? Yes. It's in Alberta, result. and one yeah. of the reasons they were able to do it is because they've got oil money. And so they built those houses with a lot of the surplus uh, oil money that was coming in. And uh, if if there were other provinces that could raise that amount of money or have that amount of money available and had the will to do it, the affordable housing could very easily, I say easily from my point of view, be built there as well. Well, all we have to do is, you know— cut some of the pay for Krusty Clark and all the other MLAs, and we'd have enough money to do it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, or the... Uh, Isn't that le- treason, or, treason or sedition and, or something? <laughs> or just revolutionary. Revolution. Or, or what about legalizing weed? That as well. The, what you guys might not know well. is we actually have a recording of uh, people in the government and their strategy to uh, uh, eliminate homelessness. You want to hear it? Sure. Yeah. Yes, please. Crush your enemies. See them driven before you. They hear a lamentation of the women. That is totally genuine. (laughs) So Doug, who is uh, the expert in uh, homelessness in Abbotsford, will give you a little lead up on why uh, the the problem has existed here and also uh, lead into why Abby Diggs is a a viable uh, solution to help homeless. Take it over, Doug. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. You, some some of the things you forgot to mention too about the reason why people are homeless is like you, you have like just run the mill people renting out you know rooms that aren't even legal, and then you know they, you know I had a, a girlfriend of mine. She had 
she was renting a basement suite, and the people that were renting it to her, when she was gone out, they'd come down and go in through her stuff. You know, she'd come wow. home and find shit moving around and stuff like that that wasn't, you know, when she left. And, you know, you have all that kind of stuff that's, you know, making people, you know, I mean, you're afraid to go to sleep because you don't know if the people you're renting off are going to sneak down in there and get you when you're sleeping, right? You know, I'd rather sleep in the bush too, right? <laughs> you know, is it a common thing? Do you feel so insecure at the place you are? You'd rather go outside and sleep out in the park than be inside that house. Is yeah. that a common thing? Yeah, yeah, it's very common. Yeah, that's why, and then that's why they group together is because you know you you know you have strength and unity, right? In a group, right? You know, have each other's watching each other's back. You know, you know, it's it's pretty tough. You know, when you're homeless, you got to carry everything that's important to you because if you leave it anywhere, you lose it. You know, and then you know, and then it's just it's just uh, it's just so frustrating. You know, yeah. But like a couple of years back, I guess two and a half years ago, you know, uh, the the city thought they'd figure out their way to get rid of the homeless out in front of the Salvation Army there, and they spread chicken and manure on all their stuff yeah, and that. That's the infamous chicken manure incident, yeah, which actually right. made headlines worldwide. It did, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was that was crazy, yeah. That's by, by pretty much. Man pretty much when I jumped in and said, you know, that's it. I had all I can take. And so so the, 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 the city of Abbotsford thought at the time, you know, let's move these people because the, 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 the homeless were camped in front of the, uh, on, uh, what's the name of that road? Gladys. Gladys yeah. by the Salvation Army there. Yeah. And they decided to just dump chicken manure. Yeah. Yeah, and by the shovelfuls, yeah, all so over the smell their stuff. Would just get oh, you guys there's in. particles of it floating in the air, and a lot of people that you know weren't homeless but just going to the Salvation Army were getting sick. And yeah, it's, it's horrible and, to breathe that stuff. To oh yeah, 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 it's just it's, it's it's crazy, man. Who was responsible for doing that? The city, the city, yeah, the yeah. City did that. yeah. I, and I, I looked, and you know, a hundred years ago, the Salvation Army had over a hundred people that were homeless camped out inside uh, out beside the, the the shelter there then the people used to jump onto the trains and sit on the top of the train and ride it to vancouver to look for work and stuff like that. and it was no big deal man you know people were more you know nowadays everybody's all me 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 and you know oh, i can't help these people out they're gonna get me right and mm. you know back then it was a little more open and you know people tried to help each other and I don't know what's going on, you know. It's just, it's crazy how everything's just, you know. It's this whole uh, get rich or die trying mentality yeah, we have today, which exactly, is. Exactly, you know. You, you can't take it with you, so I don't know what the big thing is, right, you know. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm gonna ask a question here that might be a bit touchy for you, Doug. Um, I've heard, and this, this is unsubstantiated, so I will say it right now. It's a rumor. Mm-hmm. But I hear that one of the reasons the, 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 it's so slow and to bring in the money for projects like Abbey Diggs is because money goes down from the provincial government to the city and that's distributed among some charities like the Salvation Army and rumor is if that provincial money comes down and it goes to the the city and then the city gives it to a project like Abbey Diggs then places like the Salvation Army don't get their cut yeah, and that is why they lobby against that project. Is is there anything to this, or am I just out no? Of- I'm I'm pretty sure. You know, the, the Salvation Army gets something like three hundred and something dollars a day for each person they put up. And I don't know about you, but for me, if I had three hundred dollars a day, I'd be living pretty high in the hog. A hundred dollars a day. Yeah, that, yeah, they get over three hundred dollars a day for putting people up. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, if the city can afford to pay these guys that or donate it or whatever it is. Why I don't understand why we can't just you know, if we all just tried to put it and get rid of it, we could be it'd be gone, right? I mean, we don't have to pay you know three hundred dollars for a fucking piece of plywood, right? You know, you, so, you know, if we all put our, our backs together, we can end it like nothing. So yeah. three hundred dollars a day, Salvation Army get approximately to yeah. look after someone for a day or put someone up. Yeah. 
and how much does somebody on uh, sub or not subsidy? How much does somebody on income assistance receive if they have an address? Well, I get three hundred and seventy-five dollars a month for rent. Now, is that dependent on if you have an address or not? Yes. So, if you don't have an address, then I don't. you don't get anything. No, I get uh, su- like the support money is what they call it. Because I'm on disability, they give me five hundred dollars. But if you're not on disability, you get like a hundred and twenty-five bucks or something like and that. And that's to do for the month. That's for the month. And yet they'll give the Salvation Army three hundred a day. Yeah, I guess even worse. Well, I, think, on... I think the math works out, doesn't well, it? Well, I guess even yeah. worse than that because the Salvation Army, being a religious organization, they can't. They don't have to open their books. That's right. Right? Yeah, yeah. it's a non- nobody knows exactly yeah. where that money's going. Right? Yeah. Now, no, I don't want to pick just on the Salvation Army. No, I know. I know. Just Actually, they, they, an they do sure, a really good job. I'm sure they do. Feeding and stuff like that. You know, they they made something like 3.8 billion last year or something like that. <laughs> oh, jeez. Why not just give you a hundred dollars a day? I mean, that's kind of the idea here with this basic income guarantee, which I'll be doing a segment on in the future. Is they want to give everybody basically full time minimum wage, which comes to about sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred dollars a month. No, you don't have to have an address. You don't have to. Any, you just get it. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, you know, it costs you 70 bucks a night to go stay in a motel, but it'd be nice to have, you know, a warm shower and heat and all that. And, you yeah, know. <laughs> it would be. Totally. Well, I guess all those welfare workers would kind of be out of a job because they would just direct deposit it or send you a check, right? Exactly. Well, one of let me uh, that would that would pay at, for itself, yeah, right it, there. It, it yeah. would. One of the things that, that Doug has talked about is the three seventy five. Keep that in mind, because this is going to become very important as as we begin to tell you about Abbey Diggs. Abbey Diggs is going to be a homeless village based on successful villages uh, in the states. There are thirteen homeless villages in the states that are successful, and there are twenty three waiting to be uh, built. And the reason they're so successful is because, as Doug was saying, they they create a sense of community. Ours is going to be 40 individual cabins where people can have a lock on the door. They can keep their stuff. Uh, washroom, kitchen, and laundry will be shared. So there'll be a sense of community. You don't have to stay in your house. You can get out. We'll also be able to have gardens. We'll be able to have lawn maintenance. We'll have a lot of different things where it's going to be a home. The homes are going to be tiny. They're uh, 8 by 12, the size of a bedroom, but they're large enough to be able to keep you safe. They'll be insulated like a regular house. They'll be run by the villagers. The first level of management is going to be a village council. So it's not that moving in and then having to take somebody else's rules where they decide you can't have visitors, you have to come in at nine o'clock. This fosters a sense of community and self-empowerment that is really central to the village. The 375 is going to be the rent. So you don't have to stay with anybody. There's no money that's going to come from the government. It's the money that people would would get for housing, and the 375 uh, for the 40 cabins will be enough to operate the village. We have a budget. Um, the, the houses are going to be very attractive. It's going to be uh, a place where people can come and say, "Why, wow, I, I'd like to live there. I think this is a really neat-looking um, uh, village, and it'll help foster a sense of uh, wanting to be a part of it, to, to be a part of the community service. It will give people an address 
Harris. Um, we got community partners already. We have the Salvation Army. We have MCC. We have Habitat for Humanity, and we're building community partners. Our first step is to uh, file an application, which we've already done for a temporary use permit that goes through the planning department, and then we go to council, and it's up to council if they'd like to approve this as a um, a pilot program. There's no reason why it's not going to be successful because, as they say in the poverty biz, it's based on best practices, and uh, we're sure that if given the opportunity that um, people who live there uh, will be able to be proud of it and they'll be able to take people on tours and say, this is what we can do. The village can go up in two months, whereas if you have affordable housing, it takes three or four years. Mm -hmm. So although it's only going to be big enough for 40 people, it's going to be big enough for for people to have that sense of uh, being, you know, sheltered uh, for the amount of money that they can, and it's they can afford. A, and it's meant as a transition. It's right? housing first. It yeah. can be a transition for people like Doug. If, if Doug comes and he becomes part of the community and then he decides that he would rather have an apartment on his own, he can do that. If there's someone with more uh, severe mental issues of one kind or another or they're just not ready to take on the responsibilities of life in the larger community, they can stay as long as they want. We can't toss anybody out and then say, well, we are housing first, but not for you because you're not quite ready. He can go or she can go when there's an appropriate place for them. And will there be, uh, I presume there will be additional support services for people who have maybe, you know, addiction issues or mental health or even physical health issues? There will be support services offered? There are about 154 homeless people in Abbotsford, and most of them are receiving uh, closer to 200. Doug is giving me the, I'm, I'm underestimating. Most of those people have a case manager or are on some, some form, connected with some agency. It's difficult because you can't get connected with an agency if people are scattered all over. So this gives a central location. And yes, we will have a, a manager that will come in and make sure that everybody there receives the services that they need. Wrap, what they call wraparound services. Wraparound services and transportation, plus the ability to grow their own food, the self-empowerment of management. It really is, it's an idea that goes back to the 1800s and 1700s when the pioneers first came into this into this part of the world. They pull together, they work together, and uh, they they solve problems together, and so that's important. I find it amazing to see how why it's taking so much time. I mean, this this is a this makes perfect sense economically, makes perfect sense humanely. Uh, I mean, and this is not this is not a handout. You no, know, it's a the, hand up. It's a hand up, yeah. right? Uh, and, you know, it's way better than having the guy sleep in a tent and six inches of water in the middle of winter here. Yeah, freezing and, yeah, getting sick. You know, and, I, I, and and the cost of building all this village are minimal, and all, and the the land is private, uh, and all the, 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 the city really has to do is maybe put a sewer line, if that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really? This, this is a no-brainer. Why, yeah. why is this taking so long? I know it's been, you know, it's it's been over two years now, two and a half years, you know, since we've been trying to get this done. And, you know, that's why it's so frustrating because it's a no-brainer. I mean, like when you're talking about services and stuff like that, it's a lot easier for the services to deal with people when they can find them. 
you know, if you if you're always moving around because you know you're getting thrown out of one spot and you know your stuff stolen from here and that, and you're always moving around, it's hard to get you know with people with mental health, you know, the to give them the the assistance that they need, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Anybody anybody who is interested in learning more about Abbey Diggs, we have a website, uh, the Abbotsford Dignitarian Society. You can find us, Abbotsford Homeless. We have a lot of information there. And then a Facebook page that was put together by UFV students who also have a petition that people can sign uh, to go to council, and that's called Abby Diggs. So Abby Diggs on Facebook and Abbotsford Homeless uh, in terms of our our website. And we welcome you. You can ask questions, um, and you can help support us. So hopefully by this summer, we might be able to actually get the village started. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Doug. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Time for my rant. Well, speaking of charity and all that, no, whenever I have a discussion with a believer, they quickly jump to the merits of uh, charity work offered by the religion. This is usually done in a desperate refuge they seek to justify the long overdue existence of their favorite mythology. Imagine if someone today came to you and said, well, yeah, of course the Temple of Poseidon had many great wars, killed countless heretics, and still hides criminal to this day, but we also do great missionary work. <laughs> do you still believe that religion tries to help your fellow man? I've got some bad news for you. Religion is overall a business. Like most businesses, they care about their image, lobby government for special privileges, and make sure overall they can stay in the black. Don't believe me? Then just consider little facts. The Vatican is said to manage $7.3 billion, $20 million in U.S. gold reserve, and an unknown value of historical treasures. Some have measured the Vatican to be worth $180 billion. Every week, the church pulls $850 million through donations. That's over four point, uh, sorry, $44 billion per year. Just one mega pastor, like Joel Olstein in the States, is worth $40 million, lives in a $10 million mansion, and his church collects $600,000 per week. And now the cherry on top. The UN estimates it would cost about $30 billion per year to feed the world, end poverty and hunger worldwide. This means that the Christians, just in the U.S., and that's 5% of the world population, could solve the problem. So when you hear the less fortunate and hear people they should pull themselves up by their bootstraps, remember this. The reason for homelessness today is because feeding the poor has a bad return on investment. Nothing else. Religion sells you an invisible promise, collects your money, then works hard to market an image designed to pry your wallet open even more. It preys on your humanist nature to enrich itself and then attributes their failure with a glitzy image Look at us. We're trying to save people. Please give more. Don't fall for their trick. Remember, you vote with your money, and you really want to help humanity. Give to a secular organization, or better yet, get involved. Because if you do, you'll truly show what humanity is all about. Simply being good without the false promise of reward, for goodness sake. All right. And that takes us to the end of our show. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you, Nancy, for this great presentation. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Coming up and next week, we actually have uh, Randy of the uh, podcast, The Legion of Reason. Yep, we do. And then the week after that, April 17th, we have our 420 Marijuana Special. Woo-hoo! Hopefully with uh, 
hopefully we will have uh, Jody Emery um, with us that day, so that's going to be pretty special. So check it out at the webpage too, www.leftatthevalley.com. We've got many more great things coming on the pipe. Make sure to listen to us, and uh, you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can send us an email at uh, leftatvalley at outlook.com or leftatvalley at gmail.com. If you uh, listen to a podcast either via CIVL.ca uh, or you could go to Block Talk Radio. Dot com and you can listen to us also on Spreaker. We also have a Facebook group as well, right? That we got lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> Search for us where other guys. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. Such power.